Um, allow me to begin this morning with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we, um, there's all sorts of emotions and feelings that we're having this morning. Um, for my family in particular, Lord, you know what those are. But at this moment, Lord, we ask for a fresh word. At this moment, Lord, we ask for a word of hope, uh, for a word of courage. And Lord, we pray that all of the distractions that are in our minds right now, all of the things we have to do after church and tomorrow and the day after, that all of that stuff, that you would, you would silence that for us now as we wait to hear a word from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, I was blessed by the Lord with a box of chocolatey goodness. Um, one of our church members came back from Hawaii and gave me a box of chocolate-covered macadamia nuts. And so I was going to wait, but I got hungry because I didn't have breakfast, and so I had like six of them. And I'm like, I'm not used to eating sugar, so I'm actually feeling a little shaky and jittery, so if you will bear, <laughs> bear with me now. Um, this morning we, we come to the end of what has been a 10-week or several more weeks series on the Ten Commandments, and we have discovered and we have decided and we have declared that the Ten Commandments are powerless to save us. The Ten Commandments are powerless to assure us our salvation. The Ten Commandments are powerless to earn our way into heaven or to eternal life. They are powerless to do what Christ alone can do. Amen? And so this morning, we come to the final, the final teaching. So if you have your Bibles, I want to, to open your Bibles, or invite you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. And if you didn't bring a Bible, but you want to open, this morning I don't have the, the passages on the screen, because this morning I'm reading out of the same version that's in the pew in front of you. So if you want to follow along there, it's page 54, Exodus 20, verse 16. I'm sorry, I'm still like a little shaken up. <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to, to focus, so bear with me this morning. This morning, also, we are going past noon, amen? Because church is always good and always fun, amen? And we have food for you afterwards, as I've promised. If we go past 12, we're going to try, try to have food for you. So if you are here and you're getting hungry, um, have no fear, because we will have food for you right after church. But the, but the Bible in Exodus chapter 20 Verse 17 says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Some people would say, some commentators and ancient rabbis would say, that this isn't so much a passage of what you are not to do, but rather that if you can incorporate and live up to the First nine commandments that the tenth commandment is a gift. If you can do one through nine really well, and if you can dedicate your life to doing one through nine, then the tenth commandment is actually a promise that God gives you that you will have all that you desire. That the tenth commandment of you shall not covet is you will not covet because you would have understood that life is about so much more than the things that you accumulate. But even before we get deeper into that, I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and in the Red Bible, very simply, it's page 1. After the table of contents, after the foreword, page 1 of Genesis. 
Genesis chapter 1. If we look at the story of creation, what we find six times, and then a seventh time, but what we find six times is that after each act of creation, God says, and it was good. Verse 4, and it was good. Verse 10, and it was good. Verse 12, and it was good. Verse 18, and it was good. Verse 21, and it was good. Verse 25, and it was good. And then verse 31 says this, God saw all that he had created. And there, and yeah, wait, and God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. What we see at the very onset of the biblical narrative is that when God creates and speaks creation into existence, he sees and deems it very good. Another way of saying it, if you have your study guide, is this, that the Bible begins, oh, I have this, the Bible begins with a liturgy of abundance. God, from the very onset, we find that from the onset of the God story that God is a God of goodness and abundance. This is important, so I encourage you, if you have your handouts, make sure that you fill that in because this is a a phrase that I hope you will come back to time and time again whenever you feel like there is no abundance around you. Genesis 1 is a song of praise for God's generosity. Genesis 1 declares that God blesses and that God endows with vitality the plants and the animals and the fish and the birds and mankind. So everything that God creates, God endows with vitality of life. Now, some of you might be thinking, what does this have to do with the 10th commandment? Well, I have to lay the groundwork before it begins to make sense. Amen? All right, if you guys get a little sleepy, stand up. I won't mind. Um, but we need to go through this because it is important. As I, was, as I was working on this message this week, I was so excited. I was like, if I have to go an hour, I'm going to go an hour. Amen? Because sometimes when you come through Scripture, you have to develop the whole story in order for us to fully understand it. So we're not going an hour, by the way. I'm just saying, when I was planning this. So Genesis 1 paints a picture of God's goodness and God's abundance. Secondly, what we find... I want to go to a, different, to a different passage in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalm 104. That's page 429 in the Red Bible in front of you. Psalm 104 is the longest psalm that deals with God's creation. So we could say that Psalm 104, 104 is paying homage and praise and glory to God's um, work of creation. And in verse 5, what we see is that it says that God set the earth on its foundations and it can never be moved. How many of you have ever felt like the walls are closing in on you? You don't have to raise your hand because I know we probably have all felt that. How many of you have ever felt like things can't get any worse than they already are? Like, wow, I've hit bottom, there can't be anything below bottom. And yet a promise that we find tucked into Psalm 104 is that God set the earth on its foundation and it can never be moved. And it is this same God that regardless of what you may be going through will sustain you through it. 
Whatever you are going through, this God who sets the earth will sustain you. We could say this, that God is a life-giving, life-sustaining God. The God of creation gives life and sustains you. If we look at at the same chapter in Psalm, verse 30, we find that it says that when, when you, God, send your spirit, they, humanity, are created and you renew the face of the earth. I would actually start in 28. When you give it to them, life, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face from them, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. And this is where verse 30 makes sense. When you send your spirit, they are created and they renew, and you renew the face of the earth. This God who creates in abundance in Genesis 1 continually is speaking life into existence even when we need it the most, especially when you need it the most. The God who creates all things is in the work of recreating, reshaping, and breathing life into you. So we could fill in the blank and say this. This psalm makes it clear that we don't need to worry God is utterly, utterly reliable. The fruitfulness of the world is guaranteed. God is your sustainer. So the things that you need, the things that you need on a daily basis, even if you don't have a lot of them, the fact that God gives you what you need is still abundance. Does that make sense? Is that clear? The God that gives is a God of abundance. And then if we look just a few pages over on page 448, Psalm 150, This psalm is a praise and prayer to God's goodness, power, magnificence, and beauty. Psalm 150 is an exuberant expression of amazement at God's goodness. So you're asking yourselves, okay, Pastor Dave, what does all of this have to do with the 10th commandment? The 10th commandment is about a world who doesn't see things or who doesn't see God as a God of abundance, but rather they look around and see scarcity. The 10th commandment is about people forgetting that this God of Israel rescued Israel from the Egypt and slavery and then brings them into a land flowing with milk and honey. The 10th commandment is God's call to remember that God is a God of abundance and power and glory, and God will give you what you need. But what happens in the world today and the life that we live in is that we begin to see only the scarcity of things. Yet what we find in Scripture is that it always points to the buoyancy of God's creation, and it rejects anxiety. So I write this question down like this or not the question, but it is, it's a statement. It's, it's very difficult to see a world of abundance when what we see all around, the, around us is scarcity. We see scarcity in everything all around us. How many of us have ever been or seen relationships where it's unhealthy, it's a bad relationship to be in, but we stay there because we don't know anything better, and what we find is we're unhappy and we're sad and we're miserable, and so all we see is scarcity. How about time? How many of you wish you had a couple more hours in a day? I do. I know people say, well, you would just fill it up with more work. Yeah, I know, but I still wish I had a few more hours in the day. But even in our lives, how many of you, if you look back on your life, 
Does it feel like it's been a long time or does it feel like it's just passed in a moment, in an instant? Yeah. There's a scarcity of time and we feel like time is going by so fast and so sometimes we say, we wish that there was more time. There's a scarcity of happiness. Um, I read somewhere, and I can't remember where, that in the United States, we are the richest, most powerful nation in the world that has everything we could possibly want, and yet very, in this very same place, um, we have the highest rate of people who are taking um, antidepressants and anxiety um, medications. In a nation that has everything, we desire more. There's a scarcity of peace. How many of us wish that there was more peace in our lives? How many of us wish that there wouldn't be arguments or that there wouldn't be fights or that there wouldn't be disagreements? There's a scarcity of jobs. People lose their jobs all of the time. And so we look around and we look at the unemployment rate every couple of months when the, when the things come out. And, and what we find is one side of the political arena saying, you see, that guy can't run the, the, the nation. And then the other side saying, yes, we can because we brought the unemployment rate down to whatever it is, 7.89, I don't know. And what happens is we begin to argue over numbers when those numbers actually represent people trying to provide for their families. And I think both political sides miss the point that there are people who are struggling. There is a scarcity all around us. We don't always have all the resources we want. We don't always have everything we think we need or we desire. And so when we look around, we say, wow, this is a world of scarcity. How can the pastor stand up and say that we are actually believers of a God of abundance? The gospel story of abundance asserts that we originated in the magnificent, inexplicable love of a God who loved the world into generous being. What we find in the book of Genesis is that this is a God of abundance who continually and continually provides for the Israelites and provides for God's people. And in Genesis chapter 47, we get to the place where there is scarcity for the first time, where Pharaoh has this dream and there is scarcity and there is famine for seven years. And what we find when we get to this part of the story is that for the very first time, the idea of scarcity comes up and someone says there isn't enough, so let's get all of it. Does that make sense? See, the thing about scarcity is you would think, well, if there's only a little bit, we're going to share it, right? Isn't that what most common sense good Christians would think of? And yet the reality is, is when that there is scarcity, instead of sharing and letting everything go equally to everybody, what ends up happening is that certain groups of individuals take it all. And we begin to live in a world where there are people who want it all and others who don't have enough. When we come back to the story, and I'm setting this up because we're getting somewhere, okay? We're getting somewhere. When we go to the story of the Israelites coming out of Exodus. God does all sorts of miraculous things to get the Israelites out of the slavery, out of the depths of the pit, in essence, right? They were slaves, brick-making animals. They couldn't get any worse. God comes and God rescues the Israelites. And then what happens when they're in the desert? They look back and they say, if only we could go back to Egypt where at least we had meat to eat. They wanted to go back to a time and a place 
where they were slaves because at least they had food. Because when they were in the wilderness, all they saw is the uncertainty of scarcity. They're in the desert. They don't know how they're going to eat. They don't know what to do. And what happens in the desert, what God does for them is truly remarkable because in the desert, when they are hungry, when they are starving, when they have all of these questions of how will we eat, what we find is that God sends manna down from heaven. God sends them food and God sustains them. So the next time that you feel like things can't get any worse, Maybe the savings is depleted and the checking account is extremely low and payday is still a week away. Or the next time you find yourself alone, desiring to be with some companion, with your companion that God has for you, and you just feel alone. When you feel like things couldn't get any worse, when you feel like if this is all there is to it, It's not worth it. Remember that at that very moment, in the book of Exodus, we find a God who does the impossible and sends sustenance to people. So many times we look for this goodness and this abundance and other things. We look for it in substances. We look for it in material possessions. We look to it in in empty and shallow relationships. And what happens is anything we look to for happiness may provide a temporary sense of happiness, but it will not provide the abundant life that God wants to give you. The story behind the manna in the desert is that God gifts are indeed given, that the good gifts of God are given by a generous God. So here's where I kind of want to bring it home. And then some... How many of you have ever felt like life isn't fair? Like you shouldn't have been passed up for that promotion? Like why is this my husband and not him? Like why do all the good things happen to other people? Or have you ever felt, like I just said, if this is all there is to life, it's not really worth it? If that has been your story, And hopefully, it will never happen, but should it become your story at some point where you're just like, this just isn't really worth it, I want to remind you that the story of God's abundance says that your lives will end in God and that this well-being cannot be taken from us. The story is is that God is the beginning, the middle, and the end of your life. And regardless, whatever you are going through, God, this God of abundance, will continue to speak life into your daily life. Now, if you're anything like me, as we've gone through the story of God's abundance in the Bible, we also realize, but there's scarcity. So we hear the story of God's abundance, but then every single day we come and we see these ads, these advertisements. I I would say the example of the Nike story. The Nike story is everything that is marketed to us. And the idea is that there is no one who is going to give you anything. You have to earn everything yourself. And so what ends up happening is that creeps into our mind is like, no, I have to earn everything. And so we don't look to God for anything because we think, no, I have to earn it. But what ends up happening when we feel and we we think that we have to earn everything, what ends up happening is we then begin to see only the scarcity that is all around us. And we neglect to see the abundance of God's goodness and generosity. So I would come back, as we wrap this up, I would come back to this. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 6. 
and that's page 755. I want to read this quote. The real issue confronting us is whether the news of God's abundance can be trusted in the face of the story of scarcity. Like the Israelites in the desert when they received the manna, there is even a better manna for us today. It's cliche, I know. All right, it's cliche for the preacher to stand up on Saturday morning and say that Jesus is the bread of life. And yet what we find and what we are reminded is it's just not a cliche religious saying, but rather that it is built in from the very beginning. God is the God who gives. In the book of Exodus, God gives the sustaining bread of life to give life, physical life, to the Israelites. And what we then find in the, in, in the New Testament is that God says that Jesus is the bread of life. And if, you, and if you look at verse 35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever comes to me, I will not drive away. I want to I say it this way. Ah, I think I have it on here. When people forget that Jesus is the bread of life, they start eating junk food. This is not about dietary consumption. <laughs> this is about the very real reality that we often neglect to come to the bread of life, which is opening our hearts up to Jesus and saying, okay, Jesus, have your way with me, in me, and through me. And instead of doing that, because sometimes, can I get an amen? It's hard. Because sometimes in the midst of the arguing and the disagreements, in the midst of your kid doing this or that kid's doing that, in the midst having to pay bills, in the midst of having to try to work overtime to make enough money, in the midst of having to do all of these things in this life of scarcity. In the midst of all of that, it gets difficult to dedicate and commit our lives to Jesus. Is it true? You could say it's, it's true. And for a lot of people, it's not glamorous. And for a lot of people, beginning the day in prayer and just opening your heart to Jesus, isn't that great? Because we would rather have a cup of coffee. Having a, of, of, <laughs> having a real relationship with Jesus isn't easy, and I know it. And yet what we find from beginning to end of Scriptures, if you just open your life and your heart to Jesus, He will make all the difference. I can't explain how. I don't have a formula for you. I just know that I have lived a life where I haven't made Jesus the center of my life and I have lived a life where I have tried my very best and hardest to make Jesus the center of my life. And guess what? The difference is noticeable. The second piece of this is I have lived both of these realities as a minister of the gospel of Christ. So I'm not just saying, oh, I've been a pastor for six years and I've been doing it. No, I've not done it for a long time too. And I know the difference that it has in my family. Jesus makes a very real difference in your life, but you have to dedicate time to it. You have to choose to, to have God's abundance and sustaining power. In essence, what Jesus means by I am the bread of life is this. Okay, so I want you to hear that. I wrote this on purpose, okay? You got to wait for the punchline. I am God's... Ab okay, so another way of saying I am the bread of life is this. Um, Jesus is saying, I am God's abundance for you. I am your sustainer. 
I am the one who will keep you going day in and day out. I am the one who will carry the load. In essence, I am God's hometown buffet for you. If you don't like hometown buffet, you can put whatever you want. Never-ending steak dinner, I don't know. The essence is that the bread of life, uh, the never-ending um, pasta bowl from Olive Garden, I don't know. But God's sustaining power and bread for you is that he will sustain you even when it feels like everything is running out. Jesus being the bread of life, he says, you will not go hungry and you will not go thirsty. But it requires a decision on your part. As Joshua said thousands of years before Jesus even says those words, Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will choose the Lord. The question is, will you? So as we kind of wrap this up, I have two more things to say. As we kind of wrap this up, what we find in the, in the 10th commandment where, G, where God says you shall not covet, the real essence behind it might even be found more, more specifically stated in the book of Philippians, page 832 in the Red Bibles in front of you, where Paul, who was beaten, Paul was imprisoned. I mean, this guy literally went from being an awesome guy with a position in society to literally running for his life. I don't know if you know, but at one point, Paul was even pushed off of a cliff, and he survived. All right, so this is a guy who knows what it's like to, to go through a lot of difficult things. And so in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says this, I consider everything a loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I skipped a few words because it sometimes gets lost. He says, everything in this life, all around, everything I have ever had, I consider it nothing, rubbish, worthless. Everything is worthless when you compare it to knowing Christ. Not because knowing Christ makes you a Christian, because if you, but rather if you truly know Christ, it changes everything. Because this is the same God who sustains and creates all things. And in Philippians, the same book, chapter 4, verse 12, Paul says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I, have, whether I am well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. The power that he finds to be content, he says in verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I would say it this way. When we look around, we can choose to see the world and see scarcity, pain, and suffering. And that is the case. However, as Christians, believers of God, and followers of Jesus, what the very book and essence of our faith says is that though that is the story that is all around you, that the God of all creation can conquer the scarcity and if you open your heart and your mind and yourself to Christ, he will give you the abundance that you need. And it's not talking about just the physical stuff. It's talking about we all want to live lives of meaning and purpose. How many of you want to be rich but have no friends? How many of you want to have all the latest things but be lonely? No, nobody wants that. The reality is, 
is that the 10th commandment is a promise that if you can keep commandments 1 through 9 well, that you will not covet, you will not be in want, you will not be in need, and everything you have, you will desire. We can go to Barnes & Noble and go to the self-help section and find books on how to make you happier. But don't won't always work. Or we can go to the Scriptures as we have for the last 10 weeks and we can look at the prescription that God has given to God's people and see that if we can learn to do these 10 things really well, life will be more meaningful and fuller and abundant. I would, I would finish by saying this. The Ten Commandments aren't rules that we beat up people with and tell them they have to get in shape. The Ten Commandments are not the things that we need to put in our courtrooms or in our schools. The Ten Commandments are not the things that we, we just say, hey, everybody, you have to do this. The Ten Commandments, at its essence and its core, is God says, do you really want to feel alive? Do you really want to live? Then do these things and you will enjoy the fullness and the abundance of life. God, we are eternally grateful for your abundance and for your grace and for your love and for your, and for your um, magnificence. And so, Lord, we just pray that as we wrap up these Ten Commandments that you would help us to live them out more fully. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. It's my turn, right? At this moment, can I have, I just, as we, over the last 10 weeks, we, we've been um, doing these little skits up here. So can I have just Chuck stand up and Kurt, if you can stand up or wave. And any of the kids who have read, I know as I look around, you're not, they're not all here. Can you wave your hands, all the kids that have read? These people, when we came to them, we said, this is what we want you to do. There's also Suzanne and John Brothers who helped create all this. Um, there was Carol, Carol, who wrote, uh, can, does this look amazing or what? Um, she actually wrote these every single week, and they look amazing and perfect. And so I just want to give credit where credit is due, um, because the church lives and moves and thrives as a result of each one of you having your part. And so we want to give a special thank you. Can we give a round of applause? It's okay to clap. (laughs) To Carol and Kurt and the kids and Donna for helping with the kids and Chuck and John and Suzanne. Am I missing anybody? Am I missing anybody? Um, Am I missing anybody who who kind of just helped to create all this? We are thankful. We are grateful for that. And so just God bless you for that and thank you for being a part of our church. Carol has also spent the whole 10 weeks, um, working with the children. And so at this time, I'm going to ask her to invite the children that she's worked with and allow them to share with you what they've been learning these past few weeks. Don't make anything in your life more important than God. Honor the Lord by resting on the seventh day of the week. Never hurt anyone. Always be faithful to your husband. Don't 
take anything that isn't yours. Always tell the truth. Be happy with what you have. Don't wish for other people's things. Amen. And parents, how soon do we start teaching our children the Ten Commandments? How soon? As soon as they're born, amen? Amen. We're going to sing the song together that you've been learning throughout the last few weeks as well. And I'm going to invite the children to help us out. Do you mind doing that, whoever's here? You guys have heard it, so sing along with us as we do the perfect ten together. And some of you have grown up with this song, so you probably know it by heart. Number eight, don't steal and break. 
kind of wanted to dance. Amen. Um, if we can have the deacons come up, our final act of worship um, on Sabbath morning is when we give back to God what God has already given. And so um, for those of you who are our members, we encourage you to, to joyfully give tithe and offering. And for those of you who are visiting, um, don't feel obliged. Um, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we give back to you what you've given already, we pray that you would multiply it in ways that would help people not only get to know you, but that would also um, have their needs met. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.